Chapter 10 Climbing Mount Olympus Evan joined Jimmy, still feeling a bit shaken from his second encounter with Arthur J. Strickler, and still in a daze over the fact that he was actually walking next to his cinematic idol. You in the picture, kid? Jimmy asked. I'm not an actor, Mr. Stewart, Evan explained. I'm an editor. You're working with Bill Hornbeck. Good guy. Jimmy nodded in approval. Evan managed not to grimace. To be honest, I only cut trailers. I'm not on this movie. Jimmy went silent, seeming to absorb this, although Evan sensed no change in his demeanor. Jimmy didn't seem to be judging him, and because of that, Evan's admiration of the man only grew. Thank you for the lunch, and I'm so happy to have met you. I've seen all 88 of your pictures, Mr. Jimmy, remember? Jimmy corrected him with lightning speed. He probably had a lot of practice at correcting the formal way people tried to address and treat him. Obviously, the man wanted none of that. Oh, sure, sorry, Jimmy. But yes, I've seen all of them, Evan proudly stated. Jimmy glanced at him, frowning slightly. Well, now, wait a minute. Aside from this picture I'm on now, I've only done 32 flicks. Let's see. Jimmy pursed his lips thoughtfully. Yup, 32. Something like that. Not sure exactly. What is this one? Evan asked, and Jimmy lit up. It's called The Greatest Gift, and I gotta tell you, I had my reservations at first. Still do. But I think me and Frank might be on to something. A light turned on in Evan's head. It must have shone on his expression, because he noticed Jimmy looking at him curiously. You know something I don't, kid? Jimmy asked, still eyeing him. What? No, sir, Evan lied. He didn't know what else to say. Well, all right then. Jimmy faced forward as they walked together, though his face still held that heavy expression. I just get that feeling from you, son. Evan didn't answer. He had too many thoughts racing through his head. The greatest gift. That must be... It's a wonderful life, Evan realized. Just with a different title. It can't be anything else. It's a Wonderful Life is going to be one of your greatest films, Evan exploded. What's that? Jimmy asked, eyebrows raised. Oh, nothing, Evan said. I loved Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, truly one of your greatest. Jimmy looked pleased. Oh, I thought so, too. Say, why don't you get lunch on the set, Jimmy? I'll bet they cater in great stuff for you. Oh, sometimes I get tired of that fancy stuff they bring in from Chasen's or the studio commissary, stroganoff and caviar and cheesecake. I like a plain old burger now and then, know what I mean? Jimmy asked with a smile. Sure do, Evan answered. They passed the guard gate that protected the studio lot, called the Encino Ranch. The letters RKO were stenciled below it. Don't worry, he's with me, 
Jimmy told the guard, pointing to Evan. The guard waved Jimmy on through. The two men passed a series of buildings. In the distance, larger sets could be seen. Jimmy pushed his brown fedora back, showing more of his forehead. Not to say it's not a wonderful life. I'm grateful I can still make a living in this business after the war and all. Bad business, that war. Any war, when you get down to it. He glanced at Evan. Trailers, huh? Very interesting. We're going to need a good trailer for this picture. Anyway, did you know they actually brought in dogs and cats and pigeons to roam around the set for a few weeks? Kind of gives it a real-life, small-town feel. I didn't know that, Jimmy, Evan remarked, grinning broadly. Jimmy again gave him an odd look. That Frank, Jimmy continued after a moment. He thinks of everything. Pigeons, yes, sir. Oh, people like the film. Deals with angels and stuff. Not sure myself. Some things in it I'd like to change, but I'm just an actor, he said ruefully. Don't get much say in what's going on past a certain point. No, Jimmy. You're not just an actor. You're a star, Evan insisted. Jimmy didn't answer. He looked burdened and a bit weary, though Evan couldn't fathom the reason. Why wouldn't a big star be forever on cloud nine? Abruptly, Jimmy switched gears. Say, that little Dorothy gal is a plum, isn't she? I noticed you noticed. Evan's cheeks grew hot. Yeah, she is. She's an actress, too. Says she really needs a break. That a fact, Jimmy mused thoughtfully. Maybe you could get her a part, Jimmy? An extra or something? You know, something small? Well, that's a great idea, Evan. I'll talk to Frank. Nice kid, that Dorothy. Awful pretty. And Jimmy? Evan started as they reached the front of the set. Jimmy stopped and fully faced Evan. Don't worry, Evan enthused. This picture is going to be huge. Jimmy's eyes twinkled with good-natured mirth. What? You from the future or something? Little crystal ball in your jacket? He laughed. You'll see, Evan said confidently. Jimmy heaved out a big breath. Okay. End of the road for me. I'm sure I'll see you around. I think we're shooting back at Paramount tomorrow, but I'll talk to Frank about Dorothy. Thanks, Jimmy, Evan said, his attention now completely focused on the set. Wow, Bedford Falls. Now Evan knew for sure. This was the set of It's a Wonderful Life. Unbelievable. He stared in awe, Jimmy's hand on his shoulder, giving it a hearty yet friendly pat, brought Evan out of his trance. See you around. See you, Jimmy. Evan waved, then just stood there and blinked a few times. He had no idea where to go or what to do. What were the odds he'd end up in 1946, 
on the set of the movie he was trying to save from Connor Alcott. He'd just shared a stroll and friendly chat with his top movie icon, Jimmy Stewart, who'd even showed up when needed to pay his lunch tab. Evan shook his head. Either way, he was enjoying the ride. No reason for it to end. He headed toward the main street of the movie town ahead and took a few steps on the street. A huge sign fastened in place to a nearby building read, Bailey Brothers, Building and Loan. Evan stopped and almost had to pinch himself. He exhaled a long time and had to stop himself from shouting at the top of his lungs, This is it! This is really it! He was standing before movie history, as big as it got, and so far, it had not disappointed. Evan spotted a camera crew, setting up a dolly shot at the far end of the street. Extras were already in place, and he could see Gloria Graham, dressed in a dark, tight-fitting dress, her blonde tresses shining in the sunlight. Evan, still in a state of nervous shock, was becoming overwhelmed from sensory overload. Hey, Evan! A voice called from behind him, making him jump a little. Henry rode his bicycle toward him and waved. Coop was close behind Henry, walking as fast as he could to keep up with the bicycle's decent speed. Henry pulled up beside him. How much do I owe you? I skipped out on you earlier. Bad manners on my part. Jimmy picked up the tab, Evan said. Jimmy, huh? Well, that's something he would do. Generous man, Henry remarked, then gave Evan a serious look. Listen, you got a place to stay for the night? The only reason I'm asking is you did say you were new here, and good hotels cost a fortune. Evan wasn't sure how to answer, so he figured he'd tell the truth. I haven't thought about it much, Henry. Figured if worst comes to worst, I can shack up somewhere here on the set. You could do that, but it's the last day of shooting out here for a week. We're doing a company move back to Paramount in Hollywood. I can get you bunked there easily on a soundstage. No one would notice, Henry offered. Coop nodded enthusiastically. Yes, that's a good idea. My place is too small, cramped and filled with equipment. Take the deal, Evan. Evan looked at Henry and nodded. Why not? Beat sleeping on a park bench. Henry reached into his sidecar and then held up a large black sweater. Got you this. Help yourself to some warm clothes from wardrobe. You're going to freeze tonight unless you change. Thanks, said Evan, taking the sweater. Evan, the bus will pick us up across the street there in a few hours. Why don't you go change in the dressing room in that house over there? He pointed to a small home on the corner. I'll meet you there after the last scene. Sure thing, Evan agreed, and Henry pedaled away. As soon as he was out of earshot, Evan looked at Coop. What are we going to do? Coop, clearly concerned, shook his head. I figure we just go with whatever transpires at this point. 
I saw you walking over with the lead actor in this picture. Coop remarked. Did he seem like a fair man? Sure, he's fair enough, Evan answered. But Coop looked lost in thought. We need to stick together, he said, and find our way back to wherever we came from. I hope you can get a job just by being around these people. They always need someone. Coop rubbed his chin. I will leave you to Henry's goodwill and then meet you at Paramount tomorrow. I have to get to work. Need to prepare for the upcoming scene. Good luck. Coop eyed him. You gonna be okay? Sure. Evan shrugged. I'm still not completely sure this isn't a dream or a concussion-induced hallucination that I'll simply wake up from. But to quote Mr. Spock, once you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. So here I am. Who's Mr. Spock? Coop asked, then just shook his head. I'm sorry, Evan, but you're really trapped here, just like me. Coop then turned and hurried toward the crew in the distance. Evan wondered how the heck they were going to get home. He looked around Bedford Falls, noting that the sun was already on its way down. He found a nearby chair and watched the crew members as they moved portable lights across the streets. The activity on a movie set might be intoxicating for those immersed in the chaos, but at the moment, to Evan, it just seemed tedious. Evan's eyes drooped. The two heavy meals he had consumed earlier putting his body into sleep mode. He drifted off, the sounds of the crew calling to one another and footsteps working their way into his dreams. When he awoke, the sky was approaching what filmmakers called magic hour, the time when the sun was orange in the sky, slipped over the horizon, and creating a red, blue, and purple tableau above the edge of the world. Evan headed for the small house Henry had pointed out to him earlier. He entered and looked around. Plenty of open rooms, all with wardrobes appropriate to the people of Bedford Falls. He found a pair of trousers his size and another white casual shirt. He changed out of his old clothes and into a pair of very itchy wool trousers and an equally prickly wool sweater. He made another observation about the time period. The air smelled bad, the food tasted better, and the clothes were a lot more uncomfortable. Suddenly, 2021 didn't seem so bad to him. Evan kicked off his shoes and examined his swollen big toe. He winced at the purple mess of a bruise, but at least he could bend his toe. Evan was relieved it wasn't broken, but it still hurt. Maybe a little rest on a movie set would do him good. He left the house and watched a herd of extras in raincoats and umbrellas moving toward the town square near the building and loan. Big 35-millimeter Mitchell cameras were set up and the lights blazed hot. Cranes were in place for an upcoming shot. Evan immediately recognized the scene they were preparing to shoot. It was the moment when the townsfolk were about to make a run on Bailey Brothers building and loan, and George would save the day by using his honeymoon money to ward off the panic. Rain machines were ready on standby 
Evans saw a man in a white shirt with dark hair on the crane next to a camera, his hand raised. He stared at the man, who was none other than Frank Capra. Even from a distance, Evan was impressed. Okay, rain machines. Let's run them for a few minutes, get the street wet. Sound on. I want the sound of that rain. Capra, looking sharp in a white button-up, crisply starched and collared shirt and dark tie, shouted through a megaphone, his piercing eyes scanning the scene as he smoothed back his full, dark hair. The rain machines commenced the showers. Evan spotted Coop holding up a microphone on a boom. He then glanced at the nearby audio recordist. He had his thumb up to indicate he was rolling. Capra noted it and held up one hand dramatically. This is panic, people. All your money is gone. It's the middle of the Great Depression and the building and loan is your only hope. Got that? We all remember those days. I know I do. The extras nodded. Some laughed politely. Okay, quiet, everybody, a burly A.D. shouted. Places! Capra waited for the set to settle. He looked over at Jimmy. Jimmy, I see you. Ready to save the day? Jimmy stood next to a 1930 Franklin painted in taxi-style gold and black. He gave a slight nod. Sound? Capra barked. Rolling. Speed. Camera. Rolling. Mark it! Capra shouted. The second AD held up a clapperboard. Scene 10 Bravo, take one. He snapped it closed. Action! Capra shouted. And Evan felt a chill go through him. This was the magic that had him hooked from day one. It was the most wonderful feeling in the world to him, watching a movie get made. Especially this one. One of the greatest movies ever. Jimmy stepped away from the taxi and ran toward the bank entrance. The camera craned up. Some of the extras didn't swarm as Jimmy approached the building and loan. Cut! Capra commanded, then pulled the megaphone up to his mouth. We need a three count here. I need everyone heading toward the building at once behind Jimmy, understood? The extras nodded. Capra waved to them. The crane went down to its starting position. Let's do this again. Ready? Sound? Rolling. Coop shouted. Camera? Rolling. Market. And? Action! The magic unfolded again. A few more takes were necessary, with Jimmy repeating his action each time. The extras found their sync and rhythm with the scene. Several cameras covered the action. Frank Capra seemed pleased. He finally waved to the special effects men. That's it for the rain. Thank you, gentlemen. Capra called. He looked at his cameraman. Print takes three, five, and ten, if you please. That's it for today. The artificial rainstorm stopped. Let's call it, Mike, Frank said. The crane came down. He climbed off and lit a cigarette. Evan watched in wonder. So this is what it's like watching a genius at work.
That's a wrap, people. Tomorrow on the Paramount Lot RKO Stage 7. Those of you who are done for now, collect your pay vouchers from me on the way out. Thank you, everybody. Bill, the AD, called out. Evan heard the sound of diesel engines and took a look over his shoulder, watching the production buses come up. Most of the crew were headed back into Hollywood proper and to the studios where they had parked their cars for the day. The extras lined up to get their vouchers for their day's pay. Evan headed to the bus just as Henry rode up. Well, you look like a new man, Henry declared. He locked his bicycle in place along a nearby bike rack and then joined Evan. Climb aboard, matey! Henry waved his hand with a flourish toward the bus. Evan boarded the bus. The crewman took large cans of beer out of large steel lunch pails, opening them with steel can openers. Henry sat up front behind the driver, and Evan took a seat next to him. Light em up if you got em, boys, Henry called out in a jovial voice. Next stop, Paramount Studios. Almost every man and woman on that bus flicked Zippos and lit cigarettes from packets Evan never heard of, including Old Gold, Wings, Philip Morris, Green River, and Fleetwood. The bus roared to life, and they were off. The driver took a different route back to Hollywood, heading down Burbank and then hanging a left on Vineland before motoring down Ventura Boulevard. The street turned into Coanga Boulevard, where things were getting more and more interesting for Evan. After half an hour had passed, the bus lumbered down Highland Boulevard, heading for Melrose. Evan peered out the window to see the full moon and Venus close together in the clear turquoise sky. Cigarette smoke and good-natured laughter filled the bus. The crew was having a time of it, smoking and drinking what they could before they hit the point that a hangover would have crippled them the next day, and that wouldn't be good for any of them. Evan glanced at the crew, envying those hard-working people. They were working on some of the greatest movies ever made, being well-paid, and most would never live to see the eclipse of the grand studio system that took care of them. Evan realized he and Henry had not said a word since they got on the bus, and he was grateful for Henry's silence. He began to go over his situation again. Coop, who was clearly smart, didn't know what to do at this point. Evan didn't either. He was going to be stuck here forever, never again to see the 21st century. Gwen wasn't even born yet. His landlord would wonder why he stopped paying rent. He'd be another missing person in Los Angeles, another Hollywood casualty. There would be a cursory search, but Evan had no family, no brothers, no sisters. His parents were both deceased. He would not be missed, and those dreams he clung to so desperately would never happen. He'd never be that great movie director who made an imprint on entertainment history. No Oscar ceremony for Evan West. No immortality in film history books, or any books for that matter. Evan never had a social media presence. No publicity, except that awful movie trailer for Rage. 
and that would only live on in association with one of many tragic school shootings. Evan would never be married or have kids. He'd just be remembered as a felon who stole a movie that had already been stolen, if that. He winced at the thought of his wasted life. He'd gambled everything on towering Hollywood success that only a few had managed to obtain and keep. Something tickling you? Henry asked. Evan glanced at his friend. Just thinking, Henry, Evan sighed. Life is truly like a box of chocolates. Never know what you're going to get. Say, that sounds like a great line for a movie, Henry said enthusiastically. You want to be a writer? Remember that one. Somebody's going to beat me to it, Evan muttered. You should be a little more optimistic, Henry encouraged him. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Evan looked at Henry with confusion. It's from Jeremiah. Henry scrunched up his face. Forget which verse. Evan took his advice, focusing on the positive, and Dorothy's face came to mind. Dorothy was his dream come true. Plus, he had become friendly with Jimmy Stewart. Maybe he could make it here. Not as a movie director. Too many greats to compete with he could never overtake. But perhaps as an editor. He could make a name for himself in 1946. He felt such strong feelings for Dorothy. He realized he'd be happy as a janitor if she returned his affection. Another happy thought hit Evan. He'd be able to watch Frank Capra's film, It's a Wonderful Life. What could be better than that? He could watch dreams being woven into reality, with the added bonus of knowing what an incredible impact the film would make on the world. Then, it hit him like a bowling ball flying at a hundred miles per hour to the head. He had to save the movie. He could not allow Frank Capra to shoot those scenes. Evan nodded to himself. He would somehow find a way to stop this travesty from ever transpiring. The resolution hit him plain as day. If Evan had ever been sure of anything, he was sure about this. A hundred percent sure. He felt alive again, not so directionless. It was as if he had been sent back on purpose. He enjoyed the thought of that. Evan West, savior of It's a Wonderful Life. He could dig that. He felt suddenly buoyant. He slapped his thighs and grinned ear to ear, realizing this wasn't a curse or horrible fate. It was the best thing that had ever happened to him. Henry looked up, startled. You have a happy thought, friend. Share. Yeah. Just happy to be alive in the year of our Lord, 1946, Henry. It's good to be here, Evan said, maybe a little too loudly. The bus was nearing Paramount. Evan could feel it slowing. It's good to be alive, period. But I agree with you, Henry said, holding on to the seat. I think this is our stop. The bus pulled through the Paramount gates. 
The grip bus pulled in front of stage 10. Evan and the others disembarked, most heading to their parked cars in the lot. Henry led Evan inside of the hangar-like area of stage 10. Evan glanced to the archaic lights and equipment, strewn haphazardly and abandoned for the evening where they stood, to be reinvigorated upon the following day. Henry led him to another set, which looked deeply familiar. I know this place, Evan whispered. Henry overheard. Have you read the script? Uh, sure, Evan said. Of course. This is the last scene of the movie. Christmas Eve at the Bailey House. Good going, Henry said, looking genuinely impressed. They walked from set to set in the Bailey House. Evan reverently entered the living room, where Zuzu's upright piano sat dormant. Evan went to the piano and sat down. He tested the keys and smiled, all perfectly in tune. He remembered the piano lessons his conscientious mother had forced him to take. Evan played Auld Lang Syne, complete with left-hand harmony for feeling. He wrapped up with a big G chord. Henry smiled and applauded. Bravo, maestro! He then pointed to one of the bedrooms, annexed to the dining room. There's a bed in there, Evan. You can use it for the night. No one will care. Crew isn't on call until seven. Washroom is right down the hall. Sink actually works. Don't trip over the sound cables, he instructed. Thanks, Henry, Evan said. Henry headed toward the exit. See you in the morning. Not if I wake up from all this, but thanks, Evan said. Then added, Guess you'll be earning your wings soon. Henry looked at Evan with curiosity, then grinned and exited. Evan knew it must be late. He wished he had his watch, then remembered the six dollars he needed for Sal. He wondered what his car repairs would cost, and reconciled himself to the fact that he needed to start earning a paycheck pronto. He sighed, figuring he'd wake up and deal with whatever the new day brought. As soon as his head hit the pillow, which smelled freshly washed with strong detergent, he fell asleep, not at all dissatisfied with the day he had just experienced. Again, he fell into a deep, dreamless sleep. A part of Evan was sure that when he awoke, it would be in his old bed at his apartment, and he'd finally step out of this very long, lucid dream. But he was wrong. 